Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our TOSIC Phase 1 and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. James Abraham, Chair of the Department of Hematology and Medical Oncology at the Cleveland Clinic Cancer Center, to talk about breast cancer trials. Welcome, James. Thank you, Dale. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, so you've actually been in your new role as the chair for, uh, uh, it's coming up on a year or so. Um, how's the transition been from director of the breast cancer oncology program to, to chair? It's going really well. And as you um, can imagine, when I took the job in August, I was not expecting the world is going to change and I'm in six months. Uh, so, uh, so as you can imagine, uh, we are dealing with uh, all this you know, COVID-19 crisis. And, uh, but I think overall things are going really, really well. We have an outstanding team. We have an outstanding team which really stepped up uh, to make sure that our patients and our caregivers are safe and uh, are able to deal with this crisis. Yeah. What have you enjoyed most? Talking to people like you. <laughs> <laughs> Flattery will get you far. You know, we have a great team. You know, the docs are really good. And you know, they are, if I can say, really top-notch uh, colleagues. And um, so I really enjoy you know, working with our colleagues. And um, you know, so we, we have really, a, a really an outstanding team. Can't, can't agree more. I guess today we're going to talk about breast cancer trials. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about some of the key trials that we have ongoing at Cleveland Clinic. So our goal is to make sure that uh, we have a trial for all subset of patients, you know, starting from early stage, um, from adjuvant setting to metastatic. And then when you come to metastatic, you know, in breast cancer, we look at um, ER positive or HER2 positive or triple negative. Um, so our goal is to make sure that all these subset of patients have a trial option. And then, as you know, you know unfortunately, even now, with all these advances happening in breast cancer, we still lose a number of patients because of advanced metastatic breast cancer. So the goal is to make sure that we have a new trial option for any patient who is walking through the door. So how do you sort of line up the the trials in terms of um, selection. I, I if I'm not mistaken, you talk about these at tumor boards, for instance, and try to match up new patients to trials. Right. So uh, multiple ways. One, when we have a new patient coming, um, one of the first questions we ask is, do we have a trial? So when our uh, research nurses, I send a message to our research nurses, and and we ask them to um, screen them for a trial. Or sometimes our research team actually proactively screen those patients. That's one. And of course, uh, we continue to educate our other colleagues through tumor boards. You know? And then and then let's just say, like I'm sure like you, when I got a, f- a second opinion or a phone call from one of the doctors around the state or around the country, uh, we always you know, look for a trial and say, oh, by the way, we have this trial. And um, and then the patient may end up coming here for a, uh, a trial option. So you mentioned COVID and all the associated issues with uh, COVID certainly have wreaked havoc on many, many areas of cancer care. How about breast cancer trials? Have 
we've still seen a lot of patients willing to come in for trials and what does that look like? So uh, let's just say April or May, you know, that was the time we were kind of adjusting to this new reality. And now uh, we know that this is June or July. Now we know that we are going to live with this. You know? So I think now uh, if I can say our clinical trial team and um, the doctors and the nurses, um, we, are, we, we know that COVID is going to be with us for a long time. And we are, and, and of course the patients. You know, so the patients know, or at least we know how to navigate the, uh, this environment now. So um, uh, we continue to accrue patients for trial. We are not putting any, patient, any trials on hold. So things are going well in that regard. Has there been anything particularly we've had to change in terms of logistics to, to keep your trials going? So if you look at um, uh, CTEP, you know, CTEP, NCI, CTEP, had some concerns about um, how often patients should be coming. And let's just say there is a, a blood draw which can be done at a local hospital, or let's just say this is a, um, you know, looking at survival, survival only or uh, some toxicity check, can we do that over the phone? So I think NCI, CTEP, pharma companies, uh, investigators are trying to adjust to this new reality you know, by cutting down frequent visits, cutting down some of the you know, blood draws, which can be done locally. And another really interesting thing, which NCIC took is kind of talking about uh, like placebo-controlled trial, let's just say you know, there's an IV placebo um, and the patient is supposed to come only for that IV placebo to the hospital, and like, that's a control arm. Um, and NCI is actually you know, in one of the trials which uh, we are working through NRG oncology. NCI kind of said you know, that we shouldn't be doing that now in this uh, COVID time. So the overall goal is to cut down the exposure and making sure our patients are safe in this time by limiting travel, limiting exposure to the hospital setting. And I'm hoping that uh, some of those changes, like letting people get local labs and things, will continue because. It, it has significantly reduced the burden um, on patients. You're absolutely right. And, um, and, and allowing distance health and, um, and allowing uh, research nurses to reach out to the patients over the phone. I'm kind of thinking many of these things are probably good. And, uh, and this will kind of, if I can say, bring some fundamental changes in how we take care of our patients. So if you look at the breast cancer trials that we currently have open, are there any that... Uh, that you think have the greatest likelihood to make a big impact in how we treat patients with uh, breast cancer? So one of the really exciting compounds uh, is uh, DSA201, or it's known as trastuzumab derucitican. So that's a drug for HER2-positive uh, metastatic breast cancer. So it's an antibody drug conjugate. So uh, of course the antibody is trastuzumab, um, it's with a connector molecule, it's connected to um, a topotecan isomer. So it's FDA approved for third-line metastatic HER2-positive breast cancer patients at this point. So at this point, it's FDA approved only for HER2-positive, but there are um, phase two data saying it's active in HER2 long. So even if they are not HER2-positive, let's just say they have HER2 1 plus and 2 plus, this drug may be active. So we have a trial 
um, looking at the role of this drug in HER2 low positive patients. So let's say somebody has a, a ER positive, refractory, or even triple negative refractory, but they have one plus and two plus, potentially those patients are eligible for this trial. Uh, so I think that's, uh, and I really think this is a really exciting you know, or really active um, compound. So are there any particular trials that um, that your principal investigator on that are that are coming up that you're excited about? There is a global trial. We are working on that. It, it will be called as uh, NSADP D60 uh, or Destiny Breast 05. That's a trial with DSA201 or Trastuzumab Delucitecam uh, in post-neoadjuvant HER2-positive breast cancer. So now, uh, in you know, let's just say somebody has a locally advanced breast cancer, we treat them with TCHP or one of the Herceptin Pertuzumab-containing regimen. And then after the neoadjuvant chemo, the patients go for surgery, and then if they have any residual disease, they will get TDM1. That's based upon the Catherine data, which actually showed a substantial improvement in disease-free survival when we used TDM1 instead of trastuzumab or pertuzumab. So that's the new standard. And now we are designing a study comparing TDM1 versus this DSA201 or trastuzumab delucitecam in post-neoadjuvant setting. So it's going to be a a global trial. We are expecting about 1,600 patients to be enrolled in this trial. So it's going to be a large trial, and it seems like this is going to be a while before we we get results. So this is going to be open. So in U.S., uh, NSAVP is leading this trial um, in Germany, it's going to be German Breast Cancer Group, GDG, and then it will be open in, in, in Japan and other parts of Asia. So it's a multi, you know, if I can say multinational trial. So um, we'll see. You know, some of these trials, you know, when it's open globally, and, um, it accrues really fast. When you think about how we're providing trials to our patients, how have uh, we been working toward engaging our regional hospitals, uh, our, our family health centers, our, our community partners? How, how have we collaborated with them to get patients involved in breast cancer trials? We can divide this into two. One, our regional doctors, and one, we can say, our other referring doctors from the rest of the state or outside the state. So regional doctors, we have, um, we engage them through two mechanisms. One, we discuss our trials uh, every time in the tumor board. And uh, Dr. Moore, who's the director of the breast cancer program, does an outstanding job. Every time when we talk about any patient from the region, um, she will pull up the, our trial list and show that and say, okay, this patient may not be eligible, but in this setting, we have this trial. So that kind of keep bringing to our attention, we have potential trials. I think, that, so keep discussing in the tumor board, you know, that's a, a huge, huge step. And then the second thing, as you know, you know in our uh, disease-oriented group, you know, the dog meetings, um, uh, our regional uh, research nurses and some of the regional doctors are calling in. So that's a really good way of you know, continuing to educate 
our regional colleagues you know, around uh, the state. But I think you know, for our referring, referring doctors, I think as you know, the patients come here because of probably two ways. One, patients self-refer them. You know, they come here you know, because of you know, to see Dr. Shepard or to see Dr. Moore or another. You know, so they come because of the name. You know. And then uh, second, they are sent to us by the local doctors for a you know, second opinion or clinical trial. So I think we need to continue to educate the patients directly. Um, and then, of course, the, like what you're doing now with the podcast and uh, other ways of reaching out to our offering doctors, we need to continue to educate the importance of a clinical trial because, as you know really well, you know, only less than 7% of our adult patients go on clinical trial. Uh, now we can do much better than that. And we you know, really believe a clinical trial is the gold standard of cancer treatment. We need to do better. So in terms of reaching out to uh, specifically to patients um, within breast cancer trials um, and best breast cancer care, how, how big of a role is social media, uh, patient support groups, um, how, how big of a role does that play in terms of patient awareness of a trial and coming here or something like that? So a really good question. So um, breast cancer, if I can say we are fortunate to have a really engaged um, uh, patient advocacy groups. Um, so there are many different advocacy groups. And, and, and I, I have to say that I'm inspired by you know, their, the way they engage. Um, so when we go to San Antonio Breast Cancer or ASCO, you know, we meet with them and we see them, we engage them, we communicate with them. So they are really active on the social media. They follow many of us, and many of us in the, this thing, and they know who are the breast cancer doctors. They follow us. They, we continue to educate. We continue to you know, publish or present our data on social media. Uh, and then if we have a new trial, I post that. I post that on the social media. And then uh, the, the really interesting thing is, let's just say, um, and I think that's really true. When I say, oh, the overall response rate is 60%, and the improvement in and, um, survival is uh, whatever, X months. You know, the patients will, you know, they will push me back and say, really, are you going to be happy with that X months? You know? So I think that's what we want. We want them to bring us to the reality and keep pushing us to do better. And so I think social media plays a major role. And then I'll give you an example. We worked with actually, you know, Megan Cruz, Dr. Cruz, one of our colleagues, uh, is really playing a major role in lobular breast cancer. So we connected with lobular breast cancer advocacy group. We organized um, a meeting over here. We are really part of you know, lobular breast cancer alliance social media engagement. So we always connect with those groups. Another group is metastatic breast cancer group. Um, so we really connect us, and if I can say breast cancer providers and myself with this patient advocacy group. They play a major role. So, so certainly that gets the word out for patients to, to look for us and look for trials. And I guess doubling back a little bit on more involvement of people away from main campus, a co more common cancer like breast cancer, is it possible or what works best in terms of trying to bring patients here to participate in the trials or taking the trials and putting them out in the region? With a more common cancer like breast cancer, does that is that an effective strategy? That's a really good strategy. So the way, at least for breast cancer, what we're doing is uh, 
like phase three trials uh, means, you know, of course, we have a standard treatment and we are testing something new. The phase three trials add to and phase three trials we are putting out in the region. Um, so we really have huge success. Uh, we are looking at adjuvant and halbocyclib and adjuvant bamocyclib. So all those trials were actually an accrued uh, fairly high volume from the region. Um, then when it comes to phase one, uh, of course, as you know, you lead the phase one program, phase one, even breast cancer phase one, we do mainly at the main campus. And there are some phase two, you know, you know some phase two with you know, less, um, if I can say, complicated schema and less complicated patient visits or with no pharmacokinetic stuff, then that can be done in the region too, looking only for efficacy data. So phase three, definitely region. Phase one, predominantly main. Phase two can be a combination of main and region. So in, in terms of clinical trials, was there anything that you found particularly compelling at ASCO this year? So uh, two or three trials. One, there was a trial in breast surgery in metastatic breast cancer. Uh, so Dr. Khan, this was an uh, ECOG trial, which is uh, presented by uh, Dr. Khan from uh, Northwestern, which looked at what's the role of removing breast when somebody, a patient present with a, a stage four disease. And uh, didn't show any survival advantage for uh, removal of you know, or doing a breast surgery for you know, for a patient with uh, metastatic disease. And there are, the, the background is there are probably three trials presented in the past. Uh, Dr. Khan actually did a retrospective study which actually showed a survival advantage. Uh, and then there were a Turkish trial, an Indian trial, which showed no survival advantage. And this is probably a little more definitive data saying there's no survival advantage for uh, doing breast surgery. I think that's a uh, uh, if I can say, a study with practice impact. And another trial, which is not exactly new, but it was presented at um, and I ask a role of trastuzumab, trastuzumab in DCIS. So, so it's an NSABP trial, which looked at giving two doses of DCI, I mean, trastuzumab in uh, uh, DCIS positive patients. It didn't show any survival benefit. So there was no uh, really practice changing you know, this thing, but these were interesting trials. So, of course, uh, you have San Antonio Breast, but, you know, ASCO certainly is a huge forum for people to interchange ideas. And with it being virtual, do you uh, foresee either a positive or negative impact on, on sort of new trials in breast cancer? You know, not necessarily being able to interact directly, but maybe having people involved that wouldn't ordinarily. What, what do you think about the virtual format for conferences and impact on trials? I mean, you know, conferences provided many, you know, this thing for us, you know, and if I can say, of course, we learn, um, but most importantly, the conferences provide you know, as a platform for uh, to meet people. Uh, so that's huge. I think you know, we can always say oh, it's really easy to stay home and look at the computer, um, but you know, meeting people, sitting down you know, for a coffee, or, you know, that's huge. I think that connecting people directly, you know, that we are going to miss that. You know, people from around the country, around the world, and, um, from, you know, from you know, other institutions, and then industry and publishing world, you know, so that, and, and, and patient advocacy group. So I think that will be a huge miss. 
So when we think about breast cancer trials, kind of what's ongoing, what's upcoming, what are your concerns about the gaps? What's the real need that's being missed? Is there anything being missed? Uh, there were uh, some early data on role of CDK46, particularly abomacyclic, in ER-positive early breast cancer. So, um, so we are always, you know, in estrogen receptor positive patients, of course, we treat them with uh, endocrine treatment. And in metastatic setting, we know that CDK46 can definitely double the progression-free survival. And some of the CDK46 inhibitors, like ribociclib, increase the overall survival. So we've been really looking forward to see CDK46 data in adjuvant setting. And we were part of many trials, and one of the trials was uh, palbociclib. Palbociclib didn't show uh, uh, survival, and at least from the preliminary data, uh, the impact on survival is minimal. But abomacyclib, again, we were part of the trial, and the CBPD58, that the early results, which is released by the investigators, shows there is a survival benefit for adding abomacyclib in ER-positive um, early breast cancer. So that's exciting, and we are hopefully in one of the future meetings, and either SMOL or uh, SABS, um, we will uh, learn more about it. Well, thanks for all of your insights on uh, clinical trials, James. Is there any additional comments? No, thank you so much. And, uh, this is exciting. This is good. And uh, keep uh, again, the stuff what you're doing, this is uh, connecting with our reference doctors, will be a huge help for clinical trials and uh, other stuff. All right. Well, very good. Thank you. All right. Thank you. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash canceradvancespodcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our ConsultQD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon. Thank you.